podcast. We talk here with musicians and songwriters about songs and music. My name is Mike. Our guest today is Rachel Bayman. Rachel joins us from her home near Nashville to talk about her recent album, Cycles. I had a good time with this discussion. Rachel has a very interesting timeline as a musician, so I decided to focus the first half of our conversation on her creative journey and talk with her about the various transitions in her path. To summarize briefly in advance, Rachel started out playing the fiddle as a youngster, focusing on the styles of the old-time music tradition. She developed some serious skills, at one point winning the Illinois State Fiddle Championship at the age of 17. Rachel headed to Nashville for college, where she earned a reputation as an instrumentalist, playing fiddle and banjo in the studio and on the live stage for a number of Nashville musicians, including Casey Musgraves, the amazing Molly Tuttle, Caroline Spence, whom we have had here on the podcast. She also became more well-known in the old-time and bluegrass worlds with her work in the progressive acoustic duo Ten String Symphony with fiddle player Christian Settlemeyer. All right, so then Rachel started to shift her focus somewhat, more towards the singer-songwriter model, and in 2016 released the album Shame, which attracted a lot of attention. Her songs took on issues surrounding growing up female in America, religion, and its intersections with politics. For a recent release, the excellent album Cycles, which came out this year, she traveled to Australia. As Rachel tells us, her songwriting and production choices were heavily influenced by the kind of grungy rock scene in Melbourne. So yeah, from young traditional fiddle prodigy to sought-after Nashville session musician to songwriter whose songs and lyrics attract a fair amount of attention, that's a bit of a ride. Rachel was very generous with her thoughts as she reflected with us on her journey. A couple of quick notes. I reference Rachel's essays in No Depression magazine. No Depression is a great read. It's a quarterly journal of roots music. Always some interesting things in there. Rachel's regular online column is called The Long Haul. And the article we discussed was from December of 2020 titled When Creativity Takes a Detour. I will link to it on the Tell You What website show page for this episode. But you can find it easily at nodepression.com. Also, we had some hinkiness in our sound recording, some echoing, etc. I did my best to clean it up, but please forgive any remaining traces of weirdness in the sound. I must say I'm really looking forward to doing some interviews in person again soon. So check out Rachel's excellent album Cycles and look for her tour coming to a town near you. And for now, let's get to it. Here's our Tell You What discussion. Rachel Bates. It's coming on strong. It's coming up sorrow. And I lose every day to tomorrow. It's coming on strong. It's coming up sorrow. Okay, Rachel Bayman, welcome to Tell You What the Podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks for you, having me. Yeah. You're coming to us from your home in Nashville. Do I have that correct? Yeah. I live um, in Madison, which is kind of like a northeast suburb of Nashville. But you've recently been out on the road, right? Got back on the road for the first time in a while. That must feel pretty good. Yes. I had my first uh, full band shows at the beginning of June. And prior to that, I did a few openers with the lovely Molly Tuttle. So oh. had some fun getting back out there. It felt so good. I can imagine. And you're playing songs from your new album, Cycles. been a long wait to do that in particular, right? To get those songs mm-hmm. live out into the world. Yeah. I mean, the album was recorded in 2019. So wow. it's been it's been a long journey for sure. Yeah. Okay. So normally here, I would say we're going to go back in time and I'd give you a chance to kind of tell your musical story, musical, early musical memories. But I have to admit, I find your particular musical journey kind of fascinating from a creative path perspective. So if we can, I would like to maybe take it a step at a time and talk about kind of various transitions, transitions 
in your creative life. Yeah, um, sure. We may end up simplifying some things. Life is complicated, particularly <laughs> a creative life. But I think maybe we can glean some insights as we go along, if that's okay with you. Yeah, sure. Of Excellent. Course. I do want to warn, norm- I'm looking at my notes here. Normally, I try not to talk very much, but I happen to have a lot of notes here, so I'm going to apologize to you and my listeners in advance if they have to hear me talk more. I'm happy usual. for I'm happy for you to talk more. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes one of us. Okay. All right. So let's go back a little bit. As a young person, grew up in the Chicago area, right? Yeah. Down, down the road from where I am right now, actually. In oh, really? Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, and you find your way to the fiddle. Do I have that right as your first instrument? Yeah, the fiddle was my my first instrument. I started playing when I was four. Wow. Okay. And as I understand it, you played old time music, right? So how does that happen? Was there that kind of music in and around your home? Um, It was kind of just a happenstance. I was taking lessons. You know, I just wanted to play an instrument. I was a tiny kid, so obviously I didn't have like any serious concrete opinions about the style I was playing, um, but I had an older brother who was playing music, and, and I thought he was cool, so I wanted to do it too, and my parents just said, oh, there's, you know, this guy down the road who's teaching violin, and that seems convenient, so let's check in with him, and that guy happened to be um, a fiddle player from Missouri named Mike Casey, and he ended up being like a big mentor to me. I, I worked with him from the time I was four until when I was 18, and I started on on fiddle and he taught me you know some basic fiddle tunes but also how to read music and just kind of basic music stuff that you need to know to play an instrument in general and um, eventually I worked with him on banjo and guitar and singing and so uh, he ended up being pretty formative in my life right but there was a focus on the the genre of old-time music at some point for you yeah for me for sure I mean I think where where I grew up Um, in Chicago and kind of the surrounding rural Illinois area, there's kind of like a, an Illinois style of fiddling, which is sort of a, I guess like a mishmash of a little bit of, um, Celtic influence and then kind of like a Midwest old time and then some like contest scene influence, which is more of like a Texas swing style. Okay. Um, but I kind of fell in love with old time when I was a, a teenager because I got the chance to go out to um, some like workshops outside of Nashville, the Mark O'Connor fiddle camps and one in Colorado. And that's where I heard kind of more um, specific stylistic fiddle playing. You right. know, there's like a certain level of fiddle playing where you're kind of just playing a, a strange mashup of whatever styles you find based on the tunes you're playing. And, um, I got really, but then I got really intensely into the like different styles because I was able to hear some of these real masters of the tradition, you know, like Andy Lefwich and, um, Bruce Molsky and Brittany Haas. And um, so for the benefit of our listeners, I want to talk about old time music for a second. It's kind of, it's a genre of North American folk music, string instruments right and it's kind of based on a catalog of songs that are passed down through the generations do i have that right yeah i mean it's interesting i think when in in fiddle world when we talk about old time um usually we're talking about a very specific style that comes from the appalachian region right which is a specific confluence of celtic fiddle tunes and African rhythms and banjo influence. Um, it's, it's this kind of beautiful style that is a result of the specific melting pot of the United States, which I think what ma- is what makes it so special. Yeah. So would I be correct in saying it's a more disciplined approach to music in terms of the way the songs are played, that there's not a lot of, say, soloing or veering off course within the performance? There's definitely not as much soloing. I wouldn't say it's more disciplined. Okay. <laughs> it's pretty rowdy. And you can definitely like you can definitely uh you know, experiment, but the experimentation is different. So, I think the soloing really came along um with bluegrass um and the influence of blues and jazz soloing um kind of meeting the old time and country world. Um, old time is much more like 
it's it's quite lowbrow in terms of music theory. So it tends to be very like stuff that it's music that people can easily repeat. Right. You know? And I don't mean lowbrow as in like it's not a completely specific and amazing style of music. I just mean that it's not something that you're going to be talking about um, chord structure. Right. You know, it's it's something that everyone should be able to do without having a traditional Western knowledge of music theory. So I guess the reason I, I asked that specific question is I'm thinking about it as a as a creative outlet for you and, and mm. how you thought about it as a creative outlet as opposed to maybe as a more of a performance-based discipline music, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, I don't know that it was, at that time, um, when I was a teenager, I really wasn't thinking about performing as much as I was thinking about my ability as a musician. Right. Because I was still kind of on that journey of just wanting to be the best fiddle player that I could be. And that uh, was let me point out, you did win at least one contest that I read about. So yeah. you, you achieved some yeah. of those goals. <laughs> that was like a different, I don't know, it's interesting. Like I, you know, I, I did go around the kind of rural Illinois contest circuit. And that was like a fun, a fun thing to work towards and, and a fun way to meet some other people my age that were playing because there really wasn't anyone that I knew in Chicago or in school or anything like that. But um, once I heard those kind of masters of the fiddle styles, my, my bar for what was, you know, being a great musician was, was raised in a very significant way because right. I just hadn't heard that before. And um, once I knew what was possible, you know, I really wanted to be able to do it as well. And I don't think I was thinking about, you know, what could I perform or like, you know, I just wanted to be, I just wanted to have that ability to make that magic that I was hearing. Right. It didn't really matter the, the setting of it to me. And you're also singing uh, at this point? No, um, I was really just strictly playing fiddle for many, many years. I didn't really start singing until I was in college, like maybe okay. in 20, 19 or 20. Yeah, I was really just single-minded. Single yeah. All right, so now let's go there. You find your way to Nashville for college, right? Yeah. You are surrounded by everything that musical Nashville is, right? Eventually, you make your name as a fiddle player, a musician for Nashville artists, right? Caroline Spence, Casey Musgraves, we heard of her. Yeah. <laughs> um, many others. You're doing studio work, playing in touring bands. So now maybe... Do you feel you're getting to maybe be more creative in your approach to your playing where you're improvising or taking leads with these musicians? Yeah, I mean, definitely when I moved to Nashville, I was not strictly playing. I mean, there, I was always playing a variety of styles. I definitely had my phases. But in Nashville, um, I was playing a lot more song-based music. So that requires a lot of improvisation. I was playing with a lot of bluegrass players and I also started the, this duo with my friend Christian called Ten String Symphony, and that was a, a highly kind of technical, improvisational-based fiddle duo, um, which kind of opened a lot of doors for me in terms of meeting musicians, touring, and getting some of those like string gigs that you mentioned. Right. But also... Um, because it was a, a fiddle duo and just the two of us, like I kind of had to learn how to be a front person, which meant writing songs, singing, okay. etc. And I was playing, also started playing a lot of banjo at this point. Um, Did you surprise yourself now at this turn that now you're singing and, and writing songs, considering that wasn't where you were before as a young person? I did, actually. Um, I was a little bit surprised to find myself there, but I also think that I'm kind of the type of person that puts myself in situations, you know, before I'm really know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm a very like learn on the job type of person. So yeah. uh, it was kind of just another situation like that where, you know, we have these gigs, we'd like to be singing some songs and I guess I'll be the one singing them. So I better figure that out. You know, it's kind yeah. of one of those. And, um, it's a little, you know, questionable because you're allowing people to watch you learn how to do something rather than waiting until you really know how to do it before you present it. 
but it's just always the way I've been and um, I kind of can't help it because I am always sort of seeking that next challenge and um, that was really a really really good I mean I grew so much in that project um, from a combination of factors including learning a lot from playing with Christian who's an incredible mm -hmm. musician and has a very different background from my own so now you're starting to write some of your own songs, but were there other creative outlets you were involved in along the way? I've read some of your essays. I know you were obviously a talented writer, so were there other outlets for you? Um, that also is more recent. I mean, I think in the order of operations, it would be, you know, fiddle, banjo, singing, writing songs, leading a band, and then songwriting became something that I was very focused on and then writing became something I was focused on. Okay. So, yeah. So there's, if I have this right, some of your early songwriting or a lot of them were instrumentals, right? Kind of expressing um, yourself creatively via the strings. Yeah. I definitely wrote tunes before I wrote songs. That's true. Okay. Now you're writing lyrics. Yeah. Was it that you felt you had something to say here that could maybe be expressed instrumentally? Or do you think you were always working up to this? Like you had things in your pocket that, that were waiting to get done? Um, for When I was working with Ten String Symphony, I feel like the songs were a little bit more um, stylistically created. So I felt like I was writing music for that project. Okay. Um, the first time that I feel like I, as a writer, you know, whether that be a songwriter or otherwise, wanted to say something was when I was writing the music for the album Shame. And that's kind right. of why I ended up doing that as a solo album, because I felt okay. so personally invested yes. in the messages of the music. So. Um, I think that's the, that was kind of the first time where I went, oh, I have something I want to say. Right. Before that, I think it was more, well, this is a cool idea, or um, this would be amazing to arrange with the fiddles, or, you know. And I mean, not that I didn't have, you know, real song ideas, but it was just, I guess, a different mindset. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've taken us to the next chapter. It was next on my list. 2017, <laughs> 2017, you released the album Shane, produced by the amazing Andrew Marlin, by the way. Um, and you had something to say here. Let's just say that. The album was very well received, and now you're getting attention, really, for as opposed to previously, for your instrumental skills. You're yeah. getting attention now for your songwriting, right? You're taking on issues... I'm kind of drawing a creative arc here and maybe simplifying, but did you see kind of this path? Like, was there a point where you transitioned in your mind from instrumentalist to singer-songwriter? Um, I think with that album, I... It's not that I thought now my career will be singer-songwriter. It's just that I, for that particular album, I really didn't, didn't want to limit the... Um, production possibilities. I had this opportunity to work with Andrew and I really wanted to feel free to include or not include fiddle as we saw fit to right. have whatever instruments we wanted there because um, Ten String Symphony was a really, uh, we, we just had such a narrow uh, instrumental option like and that's what made the project special because we had to work within this really specific framework so we did some interesting creative things but after years and years and years of playing with only fiddle putting bass and drums on an album it just feels amazing because <laughs> it's like oh my god it's so much like so much easier to achieve this sound and you know you have all these options and I just wanted that freedom with that project and it wasn't really a specific decision career-wise it was more just an artistic decision and then I yeah. was like well we'll see what happens like I wasn't thinking oh this will be you know the beginning of a new chapter of my career it was more just like I want to make this record and I want to make the songs the way that I want to make them yeah let's talk about the reaction of that album though you, up until then you've been receiving attention as an instrumentalist suddenly mm -hmm. people are talking about the words that you've written and what an impact they had, right? Mm -hmm. That must have been an interesting feeling. I mean, congratulations, because that's pretty amazing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> to have these two things that have blown people away, but but the way it happened to you, it must have been interesting to kind of take it in. 
Yeah, I mean, it was a really intense time as well. You know, I think that was part of the reaction to the album is that it was right during the election of Trump and when it was coming out and people were feeling really um, freaked out and kind of angry and, you know, myself included and needing something to latch on to. And so I did feel like I kind of had stepped into this new role of responsibility in terms of the way that people were treating my musical voice um, in, in a political way. But I was pretty happy with that. I mean, I think I had, I was happy to take on that role because I was feeling the same things, you know, and I wanted to, like, talk about them. And um, it was definitely, like, an intense time, but also also really exciting. And um, there was so much going on in the world, you know, that it didn't feel... And you were right in the middle of it. It feels small, you know, but you're you're just a small piece of these giant things that are happening. So, yeah, yeah, it's interesting to think back on that. Yeah. Okay, we're not done with our journey yet, obviously. So this album, previous album, Shane, you talked about how you moved away from having to feel like you had to put the mandolin or fiddle on there, but we still heard a lot of that style on that record. Now here we are with the new record, cycles a really different sound to this one right in my opinion at least yeah we, we don't hear a lot of fiddle or mandolin right your creative journey is still going forward right so you recorded this in australia co-wrote a few of the songs with australian musician olivia halley who is credited as co-producer also right mm-hmm. yep and i've seen you reference the influence of the australian music scene on these songs so how does you creative path take you here both geographically and creatively we're in Australia yeah I think um during the time that I was writing for this new record I was really influenced by some more like indie rock uh, musicians that were coming out with albums that I felt were like really groundbreaking and beautiful and and gutsy and uh speaking to me a lot and some of those were American artists like Lily Hyatt and Margaret Glasby and yep. kind of people coming from the rootsy world, but having this real intense edge and grudge, not grudge, grunge to their, to their work and kind of a fearlessness in their songwriting that really, that really spoke to me. And, um, additionally, there was, um, a lot of Melbourne based artists that I was really inspired by. One of which was Olivia's band, Opep. Right. Um, and then also um, Dan Parsons and Courtney Barnett is like, I'm a huge fan of hers and she's been kind of a, a gateway for me into like a, a style of music that I never felt connected to. So just in terms of like following that um, inspiration, I was writing a lot of songs um, that felt maybe more flexible stylistically, I think probably as a result of that. And Olivia, who, you know, I've been a huge fan of, happened to be in Nashville, and she reached out and asked if I wanted to to write with her. And I was like, absolutely, I'm obsessed with your work. I'd be so excited. Oh, that's great. (laughs) And we, um, I mean, we had met, but like we hadn't spent a lot of time together. And so we had this day of, of writing, and that day was when we wrote the song Cycles, which is obviously the title track of the record. And there was a few things going on. I mean, like one of it, one of the things was that I felt so comfortable. You know, that song is about my sister-in-law's journey with like losing a child very late in a pregnancy. And, hmm. and I was there on the scene when this happened, and it was like pretty traumatic. And um, watching, you know, my mother... And, and her mother interact with that, with kind of their generational knowledge of the situation, something that I felt very, you know, unknowledgeable about, not having children. And talking to Liv about this, it, it was just so different to the, you know, talking to a woman about this felt very easy and very right and it's very, very um, simple to connect on. And right. there was kind of this shared understanding there and it made the songwriting process so magical and easy. And then 
Additionally, um, working with her musically, you know, when we were putting the song together and it was just flowing so, so well. And I always say it's like finding someone that you click with artistically. It's kind of like going on a first date and just being like, oh, my God, we're going to get married. You know, it's like this <laughs> magical feeling where you're just yeah. like, this is it. has this incredible melodic sensibility and I'm like a very lyrical writer which I know is weird because I started as an instrumentalist but really I live with songs I live in the, the world of words like that's okay. where I work from and she um, just has this huge um, brain for melodies and they just seem to kind of flow out of her and so between the two of us it seemed like we had this really nice yin and yang in terms of songwriting um, where I was kind of always redirecting the words and kind of refining the words and she was always refining the melody and chord structure and coming up with these like beautiful ideas for that. And so that was a really a magical experience. And uh, on the heels of that, I was like, well, hey, do you want to just, do you want to make this new record with me? Because, you know, I love working with you and I want you to go through some of these other songs with me and... Um, she accepted and that was really exciting and so we over the course of the year we met up a couple times we did pre-production here in nashville for about a week i think and then i had a couple festival opportunities in australia so i was able to kind of uh play play a festival and then go into the studio with um my friend Sai, who was playing guitar with me a lot at the time and for like seven or eight days and then play another festival and then get out of there so it it worked out for us to be in Melbourne at that time and uh, that's where I wanted to be because I wanted to see you know how, how do people make records here right where are these sounds coming from like you know how do we get this edge and this this grunge that's coming out of this scene and what do you do when you make a record live you know like just getting those kind of ideas onto it so yeah I, w I want to go back to something you said earlier you said before you met with her with Olivia you had songs that were kind of flexible in their potential um, style. So mm -hmm. when you're writing some of these songs, you're not in your head, you're not already thinking about the style in which they may eventually take. Like they are the germ of a song that could go in different directions. Yeah. I think I, when I'm writing a song, I try to remove my editing brain and my, where is this going brain from it? You know, I think when, because the thing is you can write songs and I often write songs that never emerge. Like you can just write and, and see what happens and then go back to it and say, is this something, is this a song that belongs in this collection? Is this a song that can work in this style, et cetera, et cetera. And I like to do that because sometimes if I start thinking too much about an end product while I'm writing the song, I, I can kind of limit it and right. I don't want to do that. So I always want to leave those risks in there. Oftentimes the, the things you think are the strangest when you're writing a song or the ideas that you think are maybe the dumbest end up being kind of the best because they're a little unexpected. Um, so yeah. I, I really try to keep those kind of mindsets very different. There's kind of like a pure creativity and then there's kind of the editing process. Right. And then the whole, you know, putting the record out, which is like a whole different brain, which really kills my creativity. So <laughs> I try to really <laughs> remove that from, from the whole situation. You mean like doing things like podcasts? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I love doing, like, it's not, it's not a problem. I love doing these things and I love talking about it. But, you know, for the past two months or three months around been the a record, lot of it. Yeah. the amount of um, promo that you do, like, I haven't been writing at all. Like, I just can't right. even, I don't even have time to to get in the zone and I'm touring and stuff. So it really goes in cycles, I find. Cycles. 
Yes. All right. <laughs> so let's talk about this record and some of these great songs. Uh, I want to start with Wyoming Wildflowers. Sure. Right? I want to touch again on kind of the your creative progression here, maybe from the last record to this. One change that I picked up on is maybe from a songwriting aspect is one of perspective. Mm. Um, previously, maybe you more were more direct in your messaging, kind of addressing the big picture head on. On some of these songs, I see maybe what might be called a more bottom-up approach, right? Yeah. Giving us personal reflections that maybe resonate to the larger issues. So in this song, right, you, you, you address racism, but the first lines are more of a personal reflection. So can you maybe talk about this song in terms of that approach? Yeah, I think there's a couple things. I mean, one thing that I've talked about before is that, you know, I do think that the the landscape of activism has changed a lot for me in terms of like what I think is effective at, in the year 2020 versus the year 2016 when I was writing. And um, I think, you know, there was a lot of things that hadn't been said in 2016. And mm-hmm. in 2020, I feel like a lot has been said and a lot has not been understood and empathized with. So, you know, I think that my perspective on what is a helpful thought to add to the mix is is very different. But it's also, you know, really different when you're talking about, you know, with shame, I was talking about a lot about my own experience and things that personally oppress me, which I feel very comfortable being direct about. Okay. And I'm not going to write a song about racism pretending that I know what that feels like. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think treatment of those subjects as a writer uh, has to be done with care. And the only perspective that I can really offer is my own perspective on it. So for me, you know, I'm writing for Wyoming Wildflowers. I was writing about how I was experiencing the world hearing this horrific news coming out of Charlottesville and simultaneously being in a a really beautiful place out West and having a really beautiful experience. Um, Just trying to kind of meditate on the, the kind of the mental zone of somebody that would be so inclined to spend their time on white supremacy and like what kind of beauty that person must have never seen in order to get there. Well, I've covered some ground working this job, but I never do stop to look for long. So the fields out west call my surprise. The color come to you when you open up your eyes. But how come nobody told me? How come nobody showed me? talk about when you bloom i really like this song thank you it's it's a song about a personal relationship i I think you do a really nice job bringing us inside this relationship with the specific details in the verses here i think i read this is about you and your sister do i have that right yeah this is about my little sister can you talk about this one a little bit yeah well i guess um this is one that i you know wrote i wrote all the verses in the pre-chorus and i brought to live and i was like uh I don't know, this one might be crap. <laughs> and uh, we sat down and she's like, I have this melody that I've been playing with. And it was that beautiful chorus melody. If you're going to run up the mountain. It's just something I would never conceive of melodically because it's really hard. It's a really hard melody to sing. And yep. um, it's so outside of the bounds of my traditional folk melody structures, you know. And, and she sang me that melody and I was like, oh my God. And we, we wrote those words together about 
uh, every ugly feeling. And she was talking about her relationship with her sister and it was like very emotional. And, um, you know, I, I love, it's one of my favorites now. I gotta tell you, my next question is how did the amazing melody of this song make its way into the song? Cause it is, it is such a, it it goes to a surprising place. Right. And that is what makes a great hook and it works so well. Yeah, that's Liv. Um, that's that crazy, that crazy genius that she has with melody. And um, to me, it, it it helps the rest of the song, which is quite uh, stock standard melodically, feel like that becomes a nice bass and a nice rooting for this kind of takeoff. So yeah, she it, it's like this this really nice contrast. And I think um, there's a lot of kind of moments on the record that. I feel like we both pushed each other to like, I kind of would hold her back from certain pop sensibilities Hmm. and then she would kind of push me. So like, this is one of those songs where we, we ended up, the production is really restrained and that's because of me, you know, but the, but the soaringness is there and that's because of her. So I think there was kind of a cool, a cool play there. Push and pull. If you're gonna run up the man. brought it up about the pop sensibility so let's talk about song hope it hurts i Mm. this is another one of my favorites i think this has kind of a great pop rock kind of swing to it It, i think it is a great kind of groove but lyrically it hits pretty hard i was particularly struck by the kind of subtle shift in the repeating title line late in the song where it goes from when you hope it hurts to and i hope it hurts that really kind of got me so what can you tell us about how this one came about? Well, interestingly, even though this was definitely one of the more poppy tunes, it's one that I wrote on my own and really late in the process. It was kind of okay. one that we didn't even know if it was going to make the album. Um, although it ended up being, you know, one of, I think also one of Liv's favorites um, because of the, the production and the, kind of the simplicity of the song. Um, and yeah, I mean, I wrote it really, it's, it's a raw an angry song and I wrote it when I was feeling that way. It's kind of one of those, um, diary, dear diary songs, mm-hmm. um, which can be kind of, I don't know, they can kind of verge either way, I think. And whenever I write something from that, from a place of that much vulnerability, I have to kind of sit with it for a while to keep revisiting it and going like, is this something that is objectively going to connect with people or do I just feel it a lot? And, um, I think you made the right decision. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> but uh, the shift in the shift in the chorus is just kind of a, I guess it's just a nod to my internal, you know, strife. So there's kind of like this external sense of anger, and then it kind of turns inward on the self mm. because you're so frustrated with your with your own mental hangups and your own feelings and you just want them to go away and um i think that's like part of the the kind of real honesty and vulnerability of the song and um but it's like i like that it's part of the (laughs) it's part of the kind of like clever wording so i get to hide behind that a little bit i'm not so damn naive don't tell me that you Let's talk more about clever wording. I am struck by some of your rhyming, really creative and catchy. Oh, thank you. In the song Young Love, for example, I think you rhyme three things with spaghetti. <laughs> I get that. I do get comments about that sometimes. Like, way to <laughs> rhyme spaghetti. 
I, I guess I guess as the kids say, I like your rhymes. I don't know if that. I think the kids say that. I don't know if the kids say that. I, I hope my kids aren't listening to this. Um, <laughs> but I'm guessing you enjoy this aspect of your writing. Do you sometimes come up with like a rhyming couplet and work out from there? Does that happen? Um, I do sometimes like just go on the internet and go like what rhymes with and uh, explore, explore the options. Spaghetti was not one of those. I'm trying to think, okay, so you plant, plant a tree, giving one seed to bury. I'm trying to remember the words. Um, uh, oh, yeah, I know that you'd have, and if the power went out, you'd have a light ready. I'm just a bundle of nerves, all spaghetti. But if I was cash in my chips, it'd just be petty. Spaghetti's actually not that hard to rhyme with. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that that uh, verse, though, so I love to kind of include very real specifics into songs. And I, I wrote this song about my husband, and he's like so uh, measured and careful. You know, he he's kind of like the the real calm energy, and I'm like the frantic, as you might guess from this song, because I'm I'm sp- <laughs> I'm the spaghetti, the bundle of nerves. It is funny because I've, I've written the song and everything, and then like um, we had this little old tornado here in Nashville right, right. before the pandemic, um, which was really crazy and honestly was like such a such a devastating one-two punch. I mean, we had fundraisers for buildings knocked down in the tornado that were then canceled because of the pandemic oh, in the wow, same yeah. week. You know, it was just like such a and things closing down for the pandemic here in Nashville, where, you know, everyone is either a musician or working in the service industry to support their musical careers. It was just like, oh, my God. But um, that week, our house lost power, I think, for six days or something, quite a while. But um, George, my husband, was like, it would be like 4 p.m. And he was like, okay gonna get dark in a couple hours so i've gathered these lights and i've gathered these candles and these flashlights and i'm gonna put them here and here and i was like oh my god like this is could not be more true to this song like i was so proud of myself (laughs) for having predicted that reality Um, life imitates art yes it was like i was like yes no field question i read your recent essay in no depression about interior design oh, as cool. another creative <laughs> outlet of yours right that's what awesome fun, that you read that fun essay um can you well you talk in the essay about similarities and process you find between these two creative pursuits and it is it's really fun i'm gonna maybe put a link up on the website so people can read it for themselves so I would encourage people to read the article because it is so creative and fun. My question is this. I like to talk to people about creative process and putting themselves in a creative mindset. Do you ever find when you are doing interior design, you come up with a song idea? Oh, that's an interesting idea. Or maybe when you're writing a song, you think about <laughs> Like if I put that statue with that, you know, rug or something. Yeah, I think... It, okay, so with song ideas... I know that a lot of people have really good, diligent habits for writing, and I'm not one of those people. I am, like, very sporadic. So I will spend zero time thinking about songs for several weeks, and then I will randomly get excited about some idea and write it down and 
delve into, you know, kind of a zone where I write a bunch of songs in a row. And it's really dependent for me on just like where I am in my brain. So I don't feel like there's anything in particular that inspire, you know, I don't feel like that doing interior design is like going to inspire that, but I do feel like what, what the similarity for me is more in the, the process of producing a song. So like this year I got to do two production projects where I was just the producer for two friends that were making albums. Okay. Um, and that feels really similar to putting together a room because it's like, you know, the house or the space itself was the song. It's kind of like the bare bones. So I feel more relationship between producing, which is like layering things, presenting things, styling things, than writing a song, which would be like building a house, you know? <laughs> like, I don't know. Yep. Yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but... I'm not sure what I was looking for there. I just thought it's yeah, a fascinating. Yeah, but I'm so it's cool that you read that. Like I, I appreciate your interest. <laughs> well, New Depression is a great magazine, so I, I find myself. I have subscriptions, so I, I uh, you have a column in there, regular column. Yes, so yes. You've written some great stuff. Um, I want to cover one more thing. We really haven't talked about your singing, and you have such a great command of your voice. You use it so well. How did that? become a part of what you do creatively um that is has again been one of those weird just like trial and error things where I decided I probably needed to figure it out so I just like put myself in a position where I had to do it and um you know a lot of people had to hear me sing really badly for a long time (laughs) um when I listen back to some of the early recordings I made I'm just like oh my god I can't believe that I you know put this out into the world but that is just how it is you know I gotta let people yep. watch you learn and grow and um I really feel like vocally I'm always you know in in process I don't feel like I'm a technically perfect singer by any means and the only thing that you know relieves me of that stress is that I really love imperfect singers you know like a lot of the singers that I listen to are not people that you know would be considered like they're not always in tune they're not always like perfectly Courtney Barnett for example yeah I mean Courtney Barnett has like made a career out of singing out of tune you know and I love that like there's it works very well yeah I um I love imperfection in music and so I think that has because I have that mindset it really it's it's really freeing because I don't have to stress as much about the fact that I'm a highly imperfect singer and I try to think more and more about uh, emotion and communication and um, tone and like conversation conversational tone when I'm singing and actually the pandemic has been really good for my singing because every single thing I've done musically in the past year and a half has been recorded and I've pretty much heard it back so every yeah. performance has been a live stream every or a video or me, you know, in my shed recording something to put on a record or, you know, whatever. So it's, there's been no, there's been no singing that has gone into the world and, and not been heard back by me. And so it's like, it's been a very intense mirror. Yeah. Um, and the more recording, more studio recording I do, the more comfortable I become with my voice as well, because you, you know, when you're recording, um, a record, at least when I'm recording record, I'm sitting very very intensely with every single word in a song and trying to get it exactly how I want and realizing through the process of production that you know what you want isn't always the most perfect take because you you don't want it to lack uh, feeling and personality and sometimes you go for those imperfections over the you know over editing Um, finding that line is really important and it also helps me personally like figure out what I want to do live vocally and kind of what I'm striving for. So, um, yeah, I mean, thank you for saying that about my voice. I've, I've always felt like that was just something that, uh, was highly imperfect, but I was just okay with that. (laughs) Yeah. All right. I've taken up almost enough of your time. Final kind of big picture question. We've taken you have taken us on this great journey through your creative life, which has been so interesting, I think, in terms of the transitions and 
the paths you've taken. So looking globally and maybe looking forward, do you see your journey as one where you now would say, what's next? I'm going to do this other thing or change this way. Or is it just more organic and you take things as they present themselves to you and and maybe change what you're doing or maybe not? Yeah, definitely the latter. I mean, I think that I do go in those circles in my mind of trying to plan what I should do. And I always come back to the fact that I have to kind of just relax into the artistic side of it and see what emerges because I, I really don't want to force anything. I think that's how you make bad records. You know? right. So I, um, I have some ideas, you know, about what's next and, um, I'm always kind of pondering it. I'm really, because I recorded this album so long ago, I'm like already very, very excited to record again. And right. honestly, like if I had the the budget, I'd be in the studio all the time because it's kind of my, my happy place. But um, I do feel like, you know, I haven't made a record in Nashville yet. And I'm feeling more interested in the production side, having done these projects for, for other people where I was playing the producer role. So um, part of me wants to just go in to, to my favorite studio in Nashville and do, do a project of my own, uh, you know, where I'm producing, self-producing. Um, and then part of right. me is like, well, you know, collaboration is kind of what pushes you outside of your zone. And so <laughs> I've just kind of been playing with those, those two ideas and I don't know, we'll see what happens. I, I feel like I always know it when it, when it comes. Well, I'll tell you, based on all we've discussed here, I think your instincts have worked in your favor so far. So Thank you. I think you have something figured out, at least in terms of that. Um, thanks so much for taking this time, Rachel. It's been a great chat. Now, you get to go back out on the road, right? Yeah. I think I saw you have some UK touring plans. Fingers crossed that that's going to work out for you. Yeah, I'll be out west in August and then some festival dates all over the place and then to the UK and I'll be back in the Chicago area in October. I hope to see you at that show. I look forward to that. I hope so as well. At Martyrs, Martyrs, if I have that right. Yeah. October 15th at Martyrs. Excellent. All right, Rachel. Thanks so much again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And thanks for your interest. There's no going back. So we're just going.